I've been gone for like the last three weeks, and Scott's not here, but he'll listen to this online. Can you just give it up for Scott's teaching the last three weeks? There you are, buddy. Uh, don't, don't feel sorry for him. Uh, he's laying on a beach in Mexico, I think. So, uh, so get a sunburn. All right, so uh, that's just for him. Um, I've been traveling. I, uh, Brian and I were talking about this earlier. So we're, the, I don't know what God's doing here at Flatirons, but people find out about it. And then they invite us to come and tell stories about two things, Jesus and Flatirons. And I'm like, all right. So we just go and we tell. I was at a conference in Kentucky last, uh, the last two weeks, and, and uh, I had about 1,000 kids each week, and I just kind of stood up and just told them stories about you guys. They paid me money to tell them about you, but anyway, um, and, and just what God's doing in this place. And if you're if you're visiting, um, this is this is the best series you could ever kind of uh, kind of stumbled in on. But um, we just we believe God's really into two things. Um, I'm sure He's into more things, but at the top of His list, uh, He wants everybody to know that He loves them, no matter what they've done in the past. And uh, the other thing is He wants us to take care of the poor. And uh, we have this kind of slogan around here called "Me Too," and that's the only T-shirt we really have. It's a "Me Too" T-shirt. And last week. Um, uh, the, the mission that we were supporting was uh, some starving kids in Haiti. And I auctioned off two Me Too shirts, uh, one for $400 and one for $450, and they fed kids with it. So that's because of you. So yay, God, on that one. Uh, so so Flatirons is up. That's why when we do an offering, we, we have buckets in the back. When we're kind of low-key on the whole offering. But if you do decide to get, give money to the offering, that's what it goes for to make sure people know that God loves them and to feed people that don't eat uh, unless somebody else does that. And so that's what happens. We just had a team get back on Thursday night from Afghanistan. It's our fifth or sixth trip that we've gone on since November, which just blows us away. The building you see behind them is the school building that is under construction that you guys paid for. And right down the road, there wasn't a road, but we're building a road too. And there's a hospital that you guys built, that we're building that you guys paid for. And then as soon as that's done, there's 50 houses going under construction before winter sets in. And that's because, again, uh, you guys said yes to God. And just, we're going to keep on doing that. There's a medical team out there three days a week. And if you're one of those guys that went on those trip, are you here? Anybody that went on that trip? Are you here? Last, last the quarterback from like, mind. ah, there he looks. So, way to go. Way to go. Thanks for being here. Yeah. So that's, that's a, it's an awesome trip. But hey, let's get, get into this real, real quick. Um, I got to be honest with you. Until last year, I hated baseball. Um, and probably the reason I've hated baseball in my life, last year I got kind of swept up in the whole Rocktober thing. So, you know, you're just, you know, a sellout, whatever. I, I'm on board now. Okay, well, I bought the jersey. So anyway, I, I love baseball now, but I never loved baseball until last year, probably because all my life I've just really sucked at baseball. Um, I'd like to tell you there's some other reason, but no, I'm just bad. Um, I, I, I was that kid in school that um, when they were trying to teach you how to play baseball, everybody else in the playground knew how to play baseball except me. So I would, you'd be up there to bat, and I could never hit. And then they'd all yell, move in, move in. I was that kid. You know who you are. I'm working through counseling with you. But anyway, that's not really encouraged me. And, you know, move in, move in. And then when I would hit the ball, you know, they'd yell, run. And no one told me where to run, so i just run, just around, you know. And uh, I'm run over there now, and they would make fun of me, stuff like that. I was a kid in right field with the baseball mitt on my head going, la, 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 la. Because they're not going to hit it to me, and if they did, I wouldn't know what to do anyway. But, um, and, and here's the other thing about baseball I don't get, all right, for all you baseball people. No one's yet to explain it to me two things. One is chatter. What's up with chatter? Hey, batter, batter, batter. Hey, batter, batter. Hey, batter, 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 batter. Swing. That's stupid. <laughs> you know, why, why do you yell? No, I heard Brian Regan, a, a comedian, say one time, says, it's the only sport where you, 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 you do that. You know, hey, golfer, golfer, putt. You know, yes, you know, hey, you know, Wimbledon. Hey, tennis player, tennis player, serve. No, no, they, they kick you out of the game, you're out of the stands for that. But no, swing. And then I swing and they go, move in, because they can't hit. And it's just, it's just, I mean, the other thing I don't understand is why the coach wears the uniform. <laughs> Old men in stretch pants, not a good combination. 
If you're 70 years old and you still wear stretch pants and you're a man, stop it, okay? And uh, that's a fashion faux pas. That's a not to wear. But anyway, you know who you are, so we're praying for you. Anyway, um, but here's the thing um, about, about this whole thing. Um, we're going to do this series, and we're using a baseball theme, but we're not going to talk about baseball a lot. Um, and here's what I mean by that. If you go back to the stories and the teachings of Jesus, a lot of times one of the ways he would teach about stuff, especially stuff that we weren't real familiar with, like God and, you know, and, and heaven and kingdom of God and all these spiritual terms, rather than just throw that out and have us all look back at him and going, what are you talking about? You know, he would find something that we already were kind of familiar with and then compare it to something we weren't familiar with. Like if you read through the Bible, there's a whole bunch of stories about sheep and fishing and farming because everybody back then knew about sheep and fishing and farming. And he would say, well, you know, following God's kind of like um, if you were a shepherd and you had some sheep or, you know, following God is kind of like, um, say you're out fishing one day and you catch a fish. And he, and he just compared it and all the people would go, oh, I, I know what that is. And I just think that if Jesus came today, he probably wouldn't talk to us about fishing and farming, you know, and, and shepherding because there's not a lot of shepherds in the crowd. Yeah, see my point? So, so, but he would talk about stuff that we already knew about. And maybe one of those things would be baseball. He'd say, well, you know, following me and, 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 and kind of, you know, understanding God is kind of like, like baseball. And here's the thing, you know, because we're not going to talk about baseball, but um, whether you participate in, in any game, I mean, whatever game you want to fill in the blank with, soccer, whatever, everybody knows this about, if you've never played, or, but if you've ever played or watched a game, um, here's what you know. The goal is winning, Right? I mean, if people play a game, everything from backgammon to baseball, going, hey, I want to win. And in baseball, it's really clear who won. You just look up at a big board kind of like that and go, uh, okay, I know who won. And who won is really, really obvious. You know, the measurement of winning in baseball is, is very, very, very clear. How many people got all the way around the bases and crossed this thing called home plate? They count that up, and the team that had more people cross home plate wins. And again, there's a lot of throwing and hitting and catching and all that stuff and, and batting, but it serves one purpose to move people around the bases. And if, you, if whatever you're doing doesn't do that, you lose. You lose. You might hit the ball harder than everybody else. If it doesn't get you on base, you lose. The object of the game is not to hit the ball hard, but to get to home plate. And the only way to do that is to get to first place, which is why a lot of batters spend a lot of time strategically hitting balls so that they have enough time to get to first base or advance somebody else that's already gotten to first base. And at the end of a certain amount of time, it's really easy to measure success. You just look up there and go, okay, home did it more than guessed. It's very, very easy. We count stuff up. Doesn't matter how many times you hit the ball. I guess it's important. It's just not the most important. Doesn't matter how many errors the other team, you know, how many strikes, how many, how many, how many fouls, how many outs. There's only one number that counts. How many runs did you score? How many people crossed home safely? It's actually possible for a team to hit the ball harder and further and catch better than the other team and still lose the game. If the way they hit and caught and threw did not advance people around to home plate. In any game, any game, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, again, chess, whatever it is, to be played well, let alone to win, everybody involved in the game has to have a clear understanding of what I'm trying to do. What does winning even, even look like? And if you don't, if you don't know how to, how to win, you know what my bet is? You'll quit. You'll quit before the game's even, even over. I mean, I mean if, you, if you're ever playing baseball and you think, someone says, the way you win, Jim, in baseball is you've got to get around the home plate. And then I do that a whole bunch, and at the end of the game, somebody comes up and says, well, today it was different. It was actually what we were measuring is how high you hit the ball. That's how we do winners. Or how, you know, who has the best uniforms today? Or who has the fanciest stadium? That's, that's how you measure winning today. I, I throw my glove down and go, that's not what I thought mattered. And I just quit. 
And here's the worst, worst advice I ever got in be- baseball, kickball, whatever. Somebody came up to me probably after I lost, and they looked at me, and I, I think they were meaning well, but it really didn't help. They looked at me and they said, you know, it really doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. And that's a bunch of garbage. That's just not true. That, that's just, it's just not true. Um, and this is going to sound really politically incorrect. There's a certain game, there's a certain level where the stakes are so high. You know, it, it, it doesn't really matter if you have fun or if you just do your best. You have to win. And this is where we're going to leave baseball behind and go, we're really not talking about baseball here, are we? No, we're talking about life. There's some stuff in life that you have to win. And what's true for baseball could be true for a lot of organizations. Your, the company that you work for, this church, or even your family. Like, like in business, Right? How do you measure success in your business, if you own a biz- your own business? It's very easy. You look at a financial ledger. Did I make more money this quarter than last quarter? If so, I'm winning. Is my company worth more now than it used to be? Then I'm winning. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa not in my company. My company, this is how we measure success. Customer service and employee happiness. That's just not true. It's really not. Because you can have the happiest customers and employees and go bankrupt, and then it doesn't matter. Customer service and employee happiness are means to another end. We want to make more money. We want to have a successful, a successful full business. And the flip side of that's true as well. How frustrating it is to have a job and you think you know what you're supposed to be doing to win and you're playing that game. And then the boss comes in and says, actually, I wanted you to do something else. You're fired. It's not that you were doing it wrong. You were just playing the wrong game. You were just counting up the wrong stuff. And, and you did it wrong. What about church? What about flat irons? How do we know if we're a successful church? Because there's a lot of people out there in the world that are very, they're, they're very you know, open to sharing with us what they think church ought to be. I think church ought to do this. I think you ought to do this and all that kind of stuff. And at my old church, we did it like this, which again, and I've shared this before, I want to look at you. I won't say this, but I'm thinking that when you say at my old church, we did this, I want to look at you and say, if it works so well, why aren't you still there? And feel free to go on back. Because, you know, uh, and that, sounds, that sounds really mean, but the, the truth is um, there's some... There's some churches that I just don't want to be. Some people say, I'll tell you what a good church is. It's growing and it's got a lot of money. But I know some big, rich churches that you'd look at that and go, ooh, that's good, that's, that's good church. I don't want to be right. <laughs> I don't. I, I've heard people say, well, you got to have cool music and you got to have cool buildings and you got to preach the Bible. But I know some really cool churches that preach the Bible that you would look at and go, I'm, that's a tough sell to tell me that that's a winning church. Let's just take this parable a little bit further. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. How do you know if you're winning at home? How do you know if you're winning in your family or in your marriage or, or with your kids or with your parents? How do you measure, I won at, at your house? Again, there's a lot of people out in the world that they're more than willing to step up and go, here's how I think you ought to run your life. Here's how I think you ought to run your, your, your children or your, or your marriage. Let me ask you this. How do you know if you're winning? And you expand this to any area of your life, your friendships, your sexuality, your financial life. What if you think you're playing to win? I really truly believe in my heart that this is the way I win but what if down the road, despite your best efforts and your, and your, your truest in, intentions, you find out that what you really thought mattered doesn't? What do you do down the road a few innings from now or you know, a few whatever from now, and you look at it and go, um, it's, it's actually something totally different. Can you live with that? Can you live with, you know, you know I come to the end of my life. It doesn't really matter if I won or lost. It's how I played the game, and I played the game on my terms. Okay. The problem with your game was it was the wrong game. And you won, I guess, by your definition, but there's some areas of your life that you really lost, which is okay if you're okay with that, I guess. See, here's the thing about baseball, and this is where baseball and life kind of go, go in different directions. In baseball, there's always another inning. 
or there's always another game, or there's always, another, there's always next year, right? But there's some things, and we say this a lot in here, there's some stuff in this life where you don't get another game, another inning up at bat. You don't get another shot, right? We know that's true. You only get one shot at your first marriage. Now, you can get a second or third one or a fourth one. That's, that's absolutely true. You only get one shot at first marriage. You only get one shot at raising your kids. You don't look down years later and go back and go, uh, do over. You don't, no, you don't get one. You know, friendships, high school, sexuality. I mean, it's important stuff. What one shot? You mean you tell me if I mess it up and screw it up that God won't forgive me? No. God will forgive you for everything, anything, over and over and over again. He's pulled me through a lot of hard times. That's a lot of our stories. You know, I kind of tanked everything and, and struck out in life or whatever, and then he gave me a second chance. So you're forgiven. I'm forgiven, but I'm forgiven, but I also have memories and scars and regrets. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. But I don't care how much Jesus loves me. I've got some memories and some scars and some, I wish I hadn't done it that way. That's a lot of our stories. It's my story. I, I really thought I knew how to get this thing called life figured out. I thought I knew how to do marriage. I thought I knew how to do parenting. I thought I knew how to do sex and all that kind of stuff. And I thought I knew how to run my career. And I did it. And I guess I won by my definition. But I was playing by the wrong rules. And I lost some big things along the way. So over the next, uh, today and then the next five weeks, uh, we're just going to ask one question over and over. And we ask this question over and over all the time in here. We know everything's important or we wouldn't do it, but maybe there's some stuff that's more important. Everything has value or we wouldn't do it, but what has more value? Because I'm in the game. You're in the game. I just want to make sure that I'm playing to win. And what's winning even mean? And what's it look like? Last summer, if, if you were here, um, we did a series called Are We There Yet? We had a car up here. We had all that stuff up there. And, and we kept asking this question over and over. Are we the church that not only we want to be, but are we even close to being the kind of church that when Jesus had an idea going, okay, I got an idea. I'm going to call it church. Are we anything like that idea? Are we there yet? And we came up with this answer. No, we're not. If, if you're visiting with us tonight and you're going, does this place think they got it all figured out? <laughs> no. No, we're not there. Yet, but we have identified six values, key factors that we believe must be in place if we're ever going to get there. So what I want to do this summer is the same thing I did last summer is look at the most important values and apply them not just to this community, not just to this church, but to my own life. I'm going to ask this question, am I, are we winning as a church, but am I winning as a, as a dad, as a man? Are you winning as a woman, as a, as a, as a high school student, as, as a retired person? I don't know what you're doing. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Are you winning? And what's that look like? And how do you know? We're not going to ask, are you busy? And are you doing enough? We're asking, uh, are you busy doing the right things? The stuff that matters. What do you mean it matters? That gets us around the bases. And that drives the people that we really love home safe. Because, again, this is a lot of our stories. And I think a lot of us could attest this. It's very possible to have a very busy, active life and then look up and go, but I lost. So this is our value series. Over the next uh, uh, week, you're going to hear some phrases that are going to say, sound so familiar because we say them over and over and over and over in here. You're going you're to hear me say some stuff and you're going to go, you know, I, first time I came was Easter, he said that. And he said like five times between now and then. He really say that a, a lot in here. Why, why do you say that so much? Um, because we think they're important. Because they're valuable. They're, they're the most important things. As a matter of fact, you, know, you might be sitting there going, but, but you already taught on it. You just said you did a series last summer. You're going to teach the same stuff again? Yep. Yep, same six topics. We're going to teach them. Why? 
Why? Well, you might want to write this down. Here's the first reason we're going to do it. Because it's important. Oh, all right, all right. Because what was important, it drives everything we do around here. It drives everything we do. Everything that's happening in this room right now comes out of one of the six values that we're talking about. Everything we're going to do next weekend and the month after that and this fall and next year and next decade, you can trace it back going, the reason they do that there is because of these six values. We really believe that it's not just believing the right stuff, because I think a lot of churches believe the right stuff. We want to do something more than that. We want to say, if so, then what? If we believe that's true, then, then, then what are we going to do? And we believe that if we embrace these values, we, we have a shot at not just being the church we want to be, but I want to be the person I want to be. And here's the other thing. If you look around this room, one out of every three people didn't go to church here a year ago. We've grown by a third, which means a lot of people are just kind of coming checking flat irons out. And, uh, and, uh, and if you're new to flat irons, I just think it's important that you know what kind of place you got drug into or invited into or coerced into or kidnapped, whatever got you here. Um, you know, because I don't want you to kind of look around six months down the road and go, oh, uh, I didn't know they were into that. Well, we are. And I just think it's fair that you know that, you know, this is what we're going to run after. And if you, you know, in this series sometimes, you look at the person next to you going, I don't think this is the church for me. That's all right. That's all right. This is America. There's churches all over the place. Keep on shopping until you find one. That's, that's, that's no problem. We're all on the same team, all right? But, uh, but, but here's the thing. I just don't want to ambush anybody. And here's the other reason. I want to protect this place. And here's what I mean by that. Every once in a while, somebody will get frustrated with their church, and they'll leave that church, and they'll come to this church, and they bring with them a lot of ideas from their old church. You know, in my old church, I think this, and I think this, and I think you ought to do this, and I think you ought to do this. And, uh, and again, I don't want to sound mean or arrogant, but if that worked, you'd still be there. It, it, and that sounds mean, and if it is, you know, pray for me. I never claim to be a nice person. But see, we know we're not a perfect church, but we do know who we are. And we're absolutely convinced that what God wants us to run after, we think it's the, the most important thing. So we don't have, you know, I don't know what kind of church you came from or if you ever came from church, but we don't have a thing called membership here. We just have these values. And if you agree and embrace these values and you want to kind of partner with us and run after them and making them a reality, you're a member. It's the closest definition of church membership I can even find in the Bible. Are you with me? Great. Come on, let's go. You're a member. Here's the other thing. Now I'll get into this first value. Um, in a couple months, we're going to start talking about uh, sacrificing, making adjustments in our own life, leaving this building and going to, and building another place that has more seats in it and more room for our kids and for eventually our neighbors and our friends that can come in here and come and see and kind of find out that there's a better way to live. And I just think I owe it to you to know what kind of place you're in so you know what's important here. So you don't waste your time, you know, spending time here uh, when you don't agree. And you don't have to agree with this, but I just, I just don't want you to waste your time and when you could go find a place that you could partner with. I think God's will is that you find a church that you can partner with. And here's the selfish part of this. This is going to get me in trouble every time. So if you want to write me an email, don't. Okay, and so here it is. <laughs> Selfishly, if your only plan is to stay here and gripe and complain about the way we do stuff, um, go find another church. Two reasons. One is... Um, why would you want to stay? And the other one is, we need your seat. So, um, and if that seems mean, okay, because we're not going to change, I don't mean to be mean, so let me say it nicer. You have permission to go and find a church that you can support. So go, be happy. 
somewhere else. Okay, so there we go. All right, so that's it. That's the setup for this series. Let's plunge in. If you want to take notes, here's the first thing to write down. Value number one. This is what we think is the most important thing. We call it biblical authority. Biblical authority. Now, if you've been around here more than a year, you're looking going, it's the most important thing, but I haven't heard you say biblical authority since last July. I know, because we say it a different way. We, we say it like this around here. Jesus came to show us a, a better way to live. Does that sound familiar? Said that a few thousand times over the last six months. Or, or you've heard say it like this. This is my life, and this is what Jesus says is a better way to live your life. Put them both on the table and go with the best deal. That's what biblical authority is. This is what I've got. This is what Jesus says is a better way to live your life. Go with it. I stood up in front of a thousand high school students last weekend and said, listen, if sleeping with every guy in your high school works for you, go for it. That shocked all the youth leaders. Like, what? <laughs> but if you want a better life, you ought to at least consider what Jesus has to say. You know, if fighting with your family, if, you know, if, if, if having, you know, tension and chaos in your home with your parents or whatever, if that's working for you, if getting stoned out of your mind and missing whole sections of your life, if keeping on getting arrested and getting addicted, if that's working for you, do it more. Again, that's when the pastors all, you know, had heart attacks. But if you want a better way to live your life, this is what Jesus lays on the table. Choose. Choose the life that you think will get you to the place that you really want to go. Jesus called it an abundant life, a, a good life. In baseball terms, it would go like this. Jesus came to show us not only what winning is, but how to get there. How to get there, how to get around the bases and move towards, not, not scoring bases in baseball. How do, you, how, do you, how do you win in love? How do you win in parenting? How do you win in finances? Because a lot of us have struck out there or are striking out, you know, and, and I'm telling you, there's a better way to live your life. It's at least maybe just worth considering. And it's, it, Jesus didn't come up with it. Cover to cover in the Bible. People have been saying this all, all along. Thousands of years before Jesus even showed up, this guy named Moses said it this way, and he was about to lead some people into a land they'd never been to before. And he says, listen, you're gonna get over there and you're gonna have choices to make. This is what he says. I have set before you life and death. He's speaking for God. God's saying, hey, before you, you got choices. I've set before you life and death, blessings and, and curses. Now, choose life that you may live, you and, you and your children may live. Hundreds of years later, a guy named King Solomon, we did the Song of Solomon series, that explicit lyrics, you know, of the last, you know, eight, seven weeks, whatever we did. This, this is the same guy. He said, there's a way that seems right to a person. There's a way. You know, you can sit there in, in your living room going, well, it feels right. It seems, seems right. But in the end, it, it leads to death. And Solomon's saying this thousands of years ago. There's a lot of ways to play the game. There's a lot of ways to live your life. And they both seem pretty right, but very different outcomes. Very, very different outcomes. And you can choose, but it's your choice. Jesus said it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So apparently there's this, there's this rip-off artist out there saying, this is how you live your life. This is how you live your life. This is the way. Jesus says, I, not the thief, I have come that you may have life and have it to what? Have it to what? The full, a better life. Jesus, there's a life out there. There's two deals on the table, right? Go with the best one. One is a ripoff. And you can go with it, and it'll kill you. Let me tell you why I came. Not to kill you, to give you a better life. A few years later, a guy named Paul, who's one of the very first followers of Jesus, and, and he was jacked up. I mean, whatever you think. I, I read the Bible a lot of things and think these people walk around going, oh, I love you. But, but, but Paul, his name wasn't even Paul. His name was Saul. His first job was killing Christians. 
Then he became a follower of Christ, and he had to leave town and go into witness protection for a while. I mean, it's a really great story. I read it. Changed his name from Saul to Paul. Then he gets back and goes, okay, I'm, ready. I'm following Jesus. Nobody believed him, and Christians aren't really good at forgiving people. I don't know if you knew that, but they, they really aren't. They hold grudges. And, and so a couple times he had to run for his life, and finally he kind of started churches in places that nobody knew who he was, you know, and like me coming to Colorado. But anyway, it's this... Um, <laughs> But the whole thing is he said, he said this, be very careful then how you live. Be careful how you live. He didn't say, you, you better live this way or you go to hell. He's out of concern for you, I'm telling you this. Be careful then how you live. There's different ways. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? Evil. And evil isn't boogeyman evil. Evil actually translates, um, there's a lot at stake here, folks. Pain is at stake. It literally translates total loss. That's what's at stake. That's, that's what kind of hangs in, in the balance. Four of the most sport, spiritually influential people in the world, not just in Christianity, but in Judaism, even in Islam, all agree on a couple of things. There, there are different ways to live your life. One leads to a better life, and the other leads to something else, something less. And here's what these four guys all, all agreed on. On the one source where you can find direction to find a better life. All four of them agreed. This is, this, is, this is where you can find that source of, uh, of truth. Look at this. Paul writes this. He says, all scripture, and I'll explain this in a second. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. So that the man, woman, person of God may be thoroughly equipped. Here's the goal. That you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul wrote that, but thousands of years earlier, that Solomon guy, he said this. Let me tell you where the beginning of knowledge. You want knowledge? You want wisdom? You want discipline? It starts with God's word. Jesus said it this way, I don't do anything without consulting God's word. And I'm God. I don't make a decision about, I'm going to go left, I'm going to go right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to say this is good, I'm going to say this is bad. Because I don't do anything unless I consult God's word. I put myself under my own, the authority of my, of my own word. I don't, I don't make a move. Because he understood Paul, Paul, what Paul wrote. Paul says, listen, this book right here, this isn't the whim of man. And I know there's a whole bunch of things out there about the Bible, you know, it's full of contradictions. Well, show me one. Show me where, uh, show me where somebody had an idea and said, let's write this down. This is good advice for the world. And they wrote it down. Show me that. It's, it's not there. The, 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 Paul says the Bible is God-breathed, meaning somebody didn't sit down in a room and say, I'm going to share my knowledge with the world. Is that God-breathed, it means he, he spiritually led. Write that down. Don't write that down. That's you. That's not me. Put that in there. Put that in there over and over and over and over and over and over again because I want people to really get that one. I want them to know what's the most important thing to me. This is not just good advice. It's, it's, it's God-breathed. It can show us how to live our life. It can show us, you know what? That's, that's wrong. Nobody likes to say anything's wrong. The Bible says that's wrong, but let me tell you, it's not just wrong. Let me show you how to get back to right. It's not enough you tell me I'm living my life wrong. Show me a better life. Don't show me just what to do. Show me to do the, how to do the, the right things. These guys all believe the word of God. We now call it the Bible. It was a place where not only, you know, you could find out about truth, but they really believed, like I believe, that the Bible's true, but if we were willing to not just believe it's true and read, sing songs about it and memorize big chunks of it and stuff like that, but if we were actually to take it another step and go, not only do I believe it's true, but I think if I follow it, it can take me to a better place. Everybody believes in God. Most people believe that, yeah, there's probably some true stuff in there. But not many of us are saying, and I'm willing to let it lead my life. 
and I got to be honest with you, okay? If you're thinking you found a church where uh, we understand the whole Bible, mm, I don't understand it. Does anybody in here understand the whole Bible? Good. I can still be the pastor then. Good. You know, I, 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 you know, here's the other thing. There's some stuff in the Bible that when I read it, I'm like, what in the world are you doing there, God? Doesn't that sound horrible? I'm just honest with you. There's some things, I, I, when I see God, I'm going to walk up to him and, and fall on my face probably. But anyway, I'm going to walk to him and go, hey, can you kind of explain what you were thinking there? And he'll go, well, actually, Jim, it was this. And I'll go, oh, you're so smart. I'm, like, I'm God. I know. So anyway, I probably won't even ask him that. But, but here's the thing is, God knows that we don't get it. God knows that there's some stuff in this, in this book. We're going to read it and go, huh, no. Right? I mean, I prayed that prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, no, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? I mean, we've all, we pray that prayer, prayer a lot. You know, there's stuff in there I go, I don't understand that. Why do you want me to do that? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't speak God very well. Which is why he did this. Look at this one more verse. It says this, this word, this, this, this God-breathed word, became flesh, put on flesh and made his. Apparently the word is a him. The word became flesh and the word made his dwelling among us. So the word put on flesh and then lived here. We've seen his glory, whose? The words. The glory of the one and only. Apparently there's no other word like this. Who came from the Father, full of grace, which is forgiveness and mercy, and truth. Apparently the word put on flesh and was able to say, this is true, and when you mess up, you can be forgiven. Both. Both. So explain that to me. What do, you, what do you mean, the word? This sounds so religious. The word became flesh and dwelt. What does it mean? Okay, let me give you another parable. It has nothing to do with baseball for all of those who hate baseball like I always have. Um, I, I, I've shared this before. I think it was like the second time I ever spoke here before I told this story. Um, this is hard for you to believe, but when I was a little kid, I was a geek. <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe now. But anyway, um, and by, by that I meant is that... Um, uh, by, by the world's geek says, I didn't, you know, I, I play kickball, but that's about the only sport I could manage because you got a lot of do-overs on that. So I, what I did is I stayed home and, and I watched TV, <laughs> okay? Because, um, well, there's a lot of reasons. But anyway, I didn't have a lot of friends. But anyway, so I'm watching TV. My fav- favorite TV show was on Tuesday night. And, uh, and if you're over 40, you're going to remember this. And if not, you've seen it on, you know, cable. But anyway, um, it was called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anybody? 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 Yeah, fellow geeks unite. Anyway, so... And here's the thing is, it was an insurance show, Mutual of Omaha, but it was about animals. And then this really old guy, he never left the, the, the studio. His name was Marlon Perkins. He's dead now. But anyway, uh, but he had an assistant who went out and wrestled stuff. And his name, the assistant's name was Jim. So in my family room, I would live vicariously through Jim. And I'd be sitting there on my couch going, watch out, Jim, those teeth are sharp. And he'd break wrestling stuff, you know, and checking, you know, anacondas for hemorrhoids. I mean, it's just all kinds of stuff. And I'd be going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but anyway, um, so when I was a little kid, I, I wanted to either kind of be uh, either a park ranger or a youth pastor. It's kind of the same things. And so anyway, um, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so I didn't become a... a uh, a park ranger, but I've always liked animal shows. I've always loved animal shows, and just hang on, Jesus is coming, so it's, I'll, I'll get there, okay? But I just want to talk for a while. So anyway, had a lot of caffeine. Anyway, so anyway, so we, so we got married, and we were living in, in Louisville, and, and we were poor, but we, we, we got cable. <laughs> yeah, because when I grew up, we had four state, three, four when the weather was good, you know, and then when you turn the TV off, there's a dot there in the middle. Anyways, that's not necessary. But anyway, ADD boys on a roll. Here we go. So, we got cable about the same time they came out with Animal Planet. And so I would watch Animal Planet until Robin was like, you've got to go to bed. And so it was like one, one real late one night. It's like one o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep. And I'm in the living room. And I'm watching this show on Animal Planet called Wild Rescue. Awesome show. One of the best shows in the history of the world. Anyway, the whole premise of Wild Rescue is that these park rangers rescue wild animals that get in trouble. 
And on this particular one, some of you remember me telling this story? No, okay, so we didn't listen then either, Jim. But anyway, all right. So, so here's the whole, the whole thing is that they rescued three animals, all right? The first animal they rescued was a bear, okay? The story was this. This bear wandered into town, and that kind of freaked everybody out because you'd be like, like walking your poodle, and all of a sudden he'd eat your poodle, and that would just ruin your day. And so, so they said, we got to catch, you know, the park rangers had a meeting and said, we got to catch the, uh, the bear, but how do you catch a bear? So here's what they did is they, they got this big barrel, all right, and it had a remote control door on it when they push a button, the door came in, and they put some bait in the barrel, like, like a cat or something like that. They put that, they put that in there, and uh, just go with it. Anyway, all right, good. Don't write me letters. I don't care. All right, so they put that in. And then the park ranger gets over behind the, the bush, and the, and the bear's like, mm, kitty, kitty. So anyway, the bear goes over there, and they push a button, and it, it goes down, and he goes in there, and the bear's like, ah. And then they take the bear, and they put him off in the woods, and they let him out, and he lives happily ever after. And it's like, yeah. And I went and got a Diet Coke and came back. And got animal number two, which uh, was a moose. And this moose, again, it was this, I guess there's a theme throughout this whole program this particular day. This moose was up in Alaska and had wandered into town in the middle of winter. And some junior high boys decided it'd be really cool to throw snowballs at it, okay? Yeah, that's what they said. They write this down. Don't ever, 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 ever do that because all it does is make him mad. And so the moose turns around and starts chasing these little junior high boys. And, and this is other wisdom from Sensei tonight. Here it is, ready? Is that moose can run faster than junior high boys, all right? And so the moose caught, caught the little boy, knocked him down, and started jumping up and down on him like that, you know? And, and so and the, the boy's going, ow, ow, ow. And so... Uh, so anyway, they, they, the, the park rangers came in and they shot the moose with, a, not a bullet, but with a, like a, a, a tranquilizer thing, all right? So it went in the little moose butt and he was like, oh, dude, and he fell over, right? Stoned out of his mind. And so then they, they didn't know they had this, but they had a moose crane. What about that? All right, so, and they picked up the moose, put him on a trailer, and they took him out to the woods and gave him another shot of something, uh, and he woke up, and it's like, wow, man. And so then he ran in and met other moose and lived happily ever after. So here's the story I really want to talk to you about, okay? Because those are cool, but that's not what I want to talk about, all right? It was this deer. You know, like Bambi, you know, deer, you know, on the, on the highway, deer, you know. So anyway, it's one of, the, one of those. And, and this deer had wandered into a park, and all these, like, moms were freaking out, like he's going to spear their stroller or something. I don't know. So they, they say, okay, how do we catch a deer? And apparently deer don't go in barrels very well. And the other thing is you can't tranquilize a deer in, in the middle of a city because it takes a while for it to pass out, and it might run into traffic or, you know, cause some other kind of thing. So they had, a, like, a park ranger meeting, and somebody, one of the park rangers said, I got an idea is that over on the corner of the park is kind of a fence like this, kind of a, a backdrop. And if we herd that deer over there, I think we can kind of move in on him and grab him and put him in the truck and take him away. And, and it worked great for a while. And I'm, and I'm sitting, because I'm, I'm very interactive with these animal shows. I'm sitting on the table going, oh, this is good. Oh, good. That's a good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Rob, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Robin's in bed and stuff like that. And so anyway, they start closing in on this deer. And it's working great. But somehow in this little deer mind, all the deer could think was, these guys want to hurt me. And so he started trying to get away as fast as he can. I'm looking at adults going, you're just looking at me like, yeah, Jim, what else? Okay. Anyway, anyway, this is kind of powerful. But anyway, so anyway, so anyway, this deer is like freaking out. And when I mean freaking out, he's running up to this back, this, uh, this backstop and he's trying to jump over it, but he's, he can't. He just keeps throwing himself over it, uh, against it over and over again. And I, I swear, I'm sitting on my couch going, no, no, little deer, they just want to help you. Come on, it's all right. And Robin's in the bedroom going, Jim, I'm like what? Are you all right? Yeah, I was watching baseball, you know. <laughs> Go, deer, you know, whatever. You know, but, anyway, but anyway, this deer keeps like throwing himself up there and, and, uh, and, 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 and he starts hurting himself. And he gets up sitting there going, oh, come on, come on. And, like, one of his horns like breaks off and then blood's coming out of his nose and, and stuff like that. And, and I begin, I, I remember, and this is going to sound so spiritual, but I, every once in a while I land on something good. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm thinking to myself, it would be so awesome if the park ranger could speak deer. Go with it. Right? 
Because then the park ranger could have gone, whoa, 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 easy. I don't want to hurt you. You know what? I don't even want to catch you. Just, uh, I know this place is awesome. It's called the forest. Follow me there. It's cool. There's other deer there. There's a little rabbit named Thumper. It's very awesome. Just come, just come, just, just follow me. And I'm sitting on my couch and I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly what God does for us. I don't speak God very well. And he's tried to talk to me through this. I don't get this sometimes. I, through prophets, through preachers, I, thousands of preachers. Sometimes I just sit in a chair and go, what are you talking about, God? And so there's another level where he says, oh, okay. Let me just put on some skin and come down there. And you don't speak God very well, but I speak people pretty well. And here's my message. I only have one message. I don't want to catch you. I don't want to capture you. I didn't come to spoil your fun or imprison you. Just follow me. Well, where are you going? Home. I want you to be safe. I want you to be okay. I know this place. It's the life you were meant for. It's a better life. I'm not slamming your life. I'm just saying I, I think I know a better place. Just follow me. Here's a, the ironic thing about that, that deer story. I just remember this. Is that after it was over, they kind of interviewed the, uh, the park rangers. And, and this is what the park rangers said. We can't save them all. Especially if they won't let us save them. And I thought, yeah, that's true. God so loved the world. He gave his only son that anybody who says, I want to follow you, gets, gets home. But if you don't want to follow him, you don't have to. But, but let me ask you this question. What are you following? Who are you following? What's the authority of your life? And if you're sitting in here going, I'm the authority of my life, well, good for you. And maybe you can figure it out, you know? But how do you define winning? How do you know if you won? And some of our lives are so chaotic. Winning is nobody killed themselves at my house today. It was a good day. Nothing blew up, you know, or I made more money than I had before. I, I experienced some more things. I was true to myself. You know what? Maybe you're right. But what happens, and this is a big what if, what happens down the road if you've played the game and you've discovered that everything I thought counted doesn't? Everything I thought really mattered really, really doesn't. I thought I was winning, and I guess by my definition, I, I won, but I lost some really important things. See, everybody puts themselves under some authority. I think if I do this, it'll get me to where I want to go. So let me throw something out and we're done. Would you be willing um, to consider, this is an invitation for an invitation for an invitation, would you be willing to think about, to consider God's word as a possible authority for your life? I mean, what, what, this is a better way to, to live your life. And, and you know what? You're sitting there going, Jim, that has like 1,400 pages in it. Where do you even start? Okay, let's just push this aside for just a second. What do you know about Jesus? Well, I, this is my second time coming to church, and you told me that he's loving and forgiving and kind. What if you just started following that? What I know to be true about Jesus, I'm going to follow that. As I find out more, then I'll, I'll follow that. I'm not saying you have to give your whole life to him tonight. If you, if you want to, it's awesome. Would you, would you be open to maybe following him? And you sit here and go, well, I, don't, I don't think I could do that. I know, I can't either. There, the pastor's really getting honest tonight. He can't follow Jesus either, which is why I follow him. Because when you follow Jesus, not only does he forgive all my mistakes, he comes and lives inside of us and says, you don't have to follow me by yourself. I'll, I'll do this with you. I can't be a good husband by myself. 
I'm not a great husband with Jesus, but I'm better. I'm not the man I want to be on my own. And I'm not the man I want to be with Jesus, but it's getting better. Would you consider just saying, you know what, I'm going to follow him. I followed a lot of other stuff. I actually met a guy in our lobby who says, you know what, I've tried Buddhism, cocaine, I'm trying Jesus. I'm telling you, go with the best deal on the table. Hey, next week's baptism weekend. Again, we say this all the time. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just that outward demonstration of this conversation you have with Jesus goes, um, would you come in my life? Would you lead my life from this point on? Again, you don't have to go to class for that. Just show up and it would be awesome. Brian's going to lead us in one more song. It's a great song. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's a better way. He's a better truth than maybe what you heard before and he certainly is an abundant life. Let me, uh, let me pray and then, uh, then we're out of here, okay? God, come to you tonight. I love this church. Not because it's the best church. It's not even my goal to be the best church or the biggest church or the growing church. I love it that that's happening, but um, I love it because we still think it's possible. We, think, we still believe that, that being a, a person or being a church that you have in mind when you think about us is still possible. We don't claim to be so arrogant to think that we can pull it off on our own. As a matter of fact, we throw up our hands and say Without you, I I can't do anything. So will you be my everything tonight? See, God, there's some games in life that don't really matter. Baseball, I mean, I loved going to the game last night. It was an awesome game, but today, it doesn't really matter. I love playing Monopoly, but at the end of the the night, it all goes back in because it's not even real money. There's some more important things at stake that you you don't get a lot of shots at. I want to be a better husband, a better man, a better person, a better dad. but I need your help to do that. So I want to follow you. Will you help me follow you? And I can't pray that instead of anybody else in the room, but I, hopefully I can put some words to what we wanted to tell you tonight. You're the way, the truth, and we want you to be our whole life. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.